Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, February 10th, 2011. If I got everything, email check. Yeah, I think I'm there. <laughs> Scampering around today. You know, doing this much radio is a full-time job. It, it, yeah, always reading, always researching, always writing, always, always doing something. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Like I say, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we document them all. And why? Because it all really matters. Is you know, If you were to think of um, sound doctrine like you would food, for instance, you know, we would use the word, you know, synonyms for sound doctrine would be pure, wholesome, nutritious. Those are, you know, idea. So sound doctrine is pure, it's wholesome, it's nutritious. You, you think of a hearty breakfast. You think of things like milk. You think of things like eggs. You think of things like meat. You think of, of a meal that you know that when you eat it, you're, it's nutritious. It's delicious. It's, it's something that is good for you. And uh, and then sound it's, that's what sound doctrine is. It's pure. It's wholesome. It's del- delicious. It's nutritious, and all kids love it. But uh, false doctrine, it's poisonous. It's cancerous. It's something that eats away at your bones. It's something that rots stuff out from the inside. It's it's not. It's the it's the equivalent of cyanide laced junk food. And uh, if you make a you 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 uh, partake in a steady diet of false doctrine, it, it, it'll eat you. It'll eat you from the inside. It's it's the kind of stuff that it's not wholesome. It's not delicious, and that's not spiritual growth that you're experiencing. That's cancerous growth, and uh, you you need somebody to cut that out of you. And so that's what we do here at Fighting for the Faith. We engage in well spiritual. Cancer treatment, if you would, uh, it, you know, by counteracting it with sound, wholesome, good, delicious, sound doctrine. You see, you see the difference. That's the idea. So, you know, it, it, what, I, I was alerted to this recently. I'm uh, I'm in the process of editing and uh, putting together the second uh, edition of the uh, Letter of Mark Journal, and um, I'm hoping to include. Uh, one of Luther's sermons, and it's an interesting sermon because it's a sermon. It's an Easter time sermon presented, uh, you know, preached by Luther, 
And he's talking about, in the sermon, uh, the disciples of Judas, if you would. But uh, I, I was paying attention really closely to the language that Luther uses in this sermon, and he constantly refers to sound doctrine as wholesome and, and good. And th- you know, and, you know, and Every time he would talk about sound doctrine, I would get hungry. And <laughs> yeah, that's, I get hungry anyway, but <clears throat> that's a different problem, different story. Maybe I should uh, you know, look into that Daniel plan. Anyway... <laughs> What are we going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith? I've got an email that I want to take a look at, so we're going to we're going to do a, a quick email. Um, let's see here. Um, yeah, bad news for you Catholics out there. Apparently, the um, the, the see all the buzz about this uh, confession app. Uh, apparently, the Pope has not actually blessed this thing, and so uh, you know, well, we're going to have yeah. As a public service to our Catholic listeners, we're going to take a look at this, at, at, well, what the uh, the Vatican's really saying about this Catholic app now. And uh, let's see here. Uh, this is going to seem just a little bit odd, but um, tomorrow, uh, no, yeah, tomorrow. Tomorrow, uh, Justin Bieber's uh, big movie comes out. And uh, the, the folks that put the movie together have actually put together a spiritual discussion guide for it because apparently... I, I didn't even know this. Uh, Justin Bieber is supposed to be some kind of a Christian kid. And uh, and uh, so we're going to take a look at two things. Uh, number one, the story about it. But number two, we're going to take a look at the spiritual discussion guide. I was able to download it uh, today and take a look at it. And uh, and basically, I'm going to entitle this segment, uh, Why You Don't Want Your Kids to Emulate Justin Bieber's, quote, Christianity. Yeah, there's some there's something off here. It um, It's es no bueno. And uh, which, of course, you know, <clears throat> you remember the parody that we did not too long ago, uh, the, uh, you know, the parody piece talking about how, how are you going to spend your Easter, you know, what the different seeker-driven churches were going to be, who were, who's going to be headlining at the end. We made the joke that uh, Rick Warren was going to have Justin Bieber headlining at uh, Saddleback's Easter experience. Now that I, now, apparently now that we know that Justin Bieber is supposed to be a Christian kid, um, the uh, um, the issue now is, um, you know, will I be a prophet? Even though I was doing parody, will Rick Warren announce that Justin Bieber will be headlining at the uh, Saddleback Easter experience this year? <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, maybe maybe my claim that uh, Rick Warren had Bieber fever turns may turn out to be right. But we're going to take a look at the spiritual discussion guide. Like, oh man, I mean. How many of you are just dying to see the Justin Bieber movie that is released tomorrow? I mean, and then afterwards, you know, spend time in the spiritual discussion guide. Yeah, (laughs) I would rather have my eyeballs um, gouged out of me using a really large, hot, uh, pokey thing. Anything. Anyway, um, let's see. Oh, man. You know, you just t- take an iron, you know, stick it in the fire until it's like burning red. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You know, it's heated to the point where the metal is glowing and then stick it in my eyeballs. I would rather actually have that happen to me than actually watch the Justin Bieber movie. But anyway, uh, let's see here. And then our sermon review today. And we're going to be reviewing a Carrie Shook sermon entitled Sandpaper. Yeah, and uh, so uh, and. <laughs> Carrie Shook is probably one of the most amazing uh, seeker-driven, purpose-driven preachers out there. And the reason why is because he's the only guy that I know that can take a male theme, 
uh, you know, one of my first sermon uh, sermons that I reviewed of Kerry Shook was a, a sermon that he series that he did on um, the uh, 007 movies, and uh, he took a a theme that could have been a good strong testosterone theme, and uh, sucked all the testosterone out of it, and instead replaced it with pink estrogen and. Uh, just uh, unbelievable, but uh, he did, he does something similar in this sermon re, uh, that we're going to be reviewing. Yeah, uh, he it's a power tool theme. So you got sandpaper. Yeah, he discusses power tools, and in, in a similar fashion to the 007 uh, sermon that we reviewed, uh, you know, a couple years ago now, uh, he has this, this just uncanny ability to literally drain all of the testosterone out of the male theme that he's using. I mean, he's got full-on power tools on stage, and he's using them as part of his sermon illustrations. And at the end of it, yeah, I'm just not feeling the male power tool theme at all. It's just yeah, unbelievable. I, he's He's got the spiritual gift of estrogen. And uh, and you wonder why uh, guys are leaving the uh, church in droves. Well, it's sermons like these that <clears throat> have a way of doing it, but we'll be reviewing the sermon entitled Sandpaper. So if you're a guy and uh, just want to warn you ahead of time, this sermon itself will feel like sandpaper against your skin. It'll feel like sandpaper in your ears as you're listening to it. And uh, you, <laughs> you'll probably end up throwing your headphones down on the ground and screaming and and running to do something really manly, you know, like throw a football, uh, lift some weights, maybe, you know, Flex your muscles in the mirror. Some anything. Yeah, I. Those are some things I highly recommend doing after listening to the sermon because uh, this so-called male-based, uh, you know, male-themed uh, sermon, yeah, will challenge <laughs> challenge your sexual identity like none other. Anyway, so hang on a second. Let me take a, a sip of my Earl Grey here. Mm, I love that tea. Anyway, all right. Let, and no, they don't pay me to drink Earl Grey. I, I they don't get you know. It's not like they get a you know a product placement spot here at Fighting for the Faith. I just like Earl Grey tea. <sighs> anyway, so with that, let's uh, dive into the program proper. Got a quick email I want to read here, and this re- actually I need to go to my Facebook wall real quick and uh, find out where Michael's from because he sent this to me on Facebook. By the way, uh, if you are my friend on Facebook, there's a lot of uh, discussion that goes on on my Facebook wall. And uh, just thought you would know that, want to know that. Oh, well, that's why. <clears throat> okay, hang on a second. This uh, email comes to us. Uh, via McKeel, uh, M-I-C-H-E-A-L. I, I thought it was Michael, but it's McKeel. And uh, where is McKeel from? Hang on a second here. I'm going to get this. Uh, he is, uh, well, he's <clears throat> part, uh, Warrington, Virginia. Uh, well, actually, that's, uh, yeah, okay. He's in Virginia. That's all we need to know. Okay. Uh, no, actually, take it back. He, he says that his employer, I think I've got his uh, his general coordinates all wrong. He's either in Lenox, Iowa, or he's in uh, Virginia. That's, don't ask me why I'm confused as to this. It has something to do with the fact that he, his employer is in one place and he's in another, and yeah, I'm, I'm all confused. Anyway, <clears throat> McKeel writes, he says, I, f- I feel I must be a very simple-minded man when it comes to Christianity. And by the way, what he's responding to in this email 
has to do with the fact that um, uh, Tony Jones's uh, you know latest piece, where he basically claims that Jesus is fallible. You know that uh, you know, apparently Jesus, you know, his worldview was just way off from the truth. And thankfully, Tony Jones and the emergence and the new liberals, they're all too uh, you know all too willing to correct Jesus because you know poor Jesus. I mean. He was just a man of his times, and of course, if he lived today, you know, he would, he would be embracing evolution. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't believe in heaven and hell. But you see, the re, even though Jesus is God in human flesh, he was just too much of a dupe and a man of his times to know any better. Anyway, uh, so McKeel writes. He says uh, when guys like Jones and McLaren find a fallible Jesus and an evolutionary worldview as being a strengthening agent to their quote Christianity, I have to wonder. To me, I I find a Jesus I can't trust in a Bible full of fables, half-truths, and outright deception uh, to be faith-shattering. Exactly. Right. Because if you believe McLaren, if you believe, you know, they sit there and say, oh, yeah, well, evolution has strengthened my Christianity. Or or coming to the understanding that Jesus was just flat-out wrong about the existence of heaven and hell and things like that. I have found that to be a strengthening agent to my Christianity. That's not a strengthening agent. That's like pouring acid on your faith. And uh, McKeel points that out rather nicely. He says, to me, I, I find a Jesus I can't trust and a Bible full of fables, half-truths, outright uh, deception, and faith, and for it to be faith-shattering. If Jones and McLaren are ever proved to be true, I, like Dr. Rosenblatt, am heading straight to heathenism in full. I, for one, refuse to bet my blue chips on a Jesus who can't get, a, get simple things right. And if the Bible can't get the first chapters right, how do I trust it to get anything else right? <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. That's it. Because here's the deal. What it basically boils down to is, is that, yeah, I'm not sure who this Jesus that uh, Jones and McLaren believe in, but he's not the biblical Jesus. I mean, he's basically just, a, well, a dupe. And uh, I mean, he, he I mean, he was wrong about creation. He's wrong about heaven and hell. If he was wrong about those things, then what on earth makes me think that he was right about the fact that he was bearing the sins of the world on himself while he's being crucified. They don't even, but and that's the funny thing, isn't it? McLaren and Jones don't believe Jesus was doing that either. Of course, see, McLaren and Jones and Paget and and Spong and all of those guys, they know better than Jesus. And so, you know, they, but they, see, and that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, they know better than Jesus and uh, we can't trust the Bible, but we can trust them. It all comes down to who are you going to trust? Jesus the who is God in human flesh, who rose again on the third day after he was crucified under Pontius Pilate? Or are you going to believe um, Jones and McLaren and those guys who've reimagined all of Christianity and have taken it upon themselves, uh, thanklessly, of course, you know, to just reinterpret the whole thing, you know, with all this new information that we've been getting, you know, to embrace evolution, to basically say Jesus's worldview was all wrong, he was a man of his times, and he just didn't know any better. Yeah, yeah, all too convenient, don't you think? It makes you wonder if you know if Christ should tarry for another five hundred years. I mean, this whole post-modernity thing—it's going to seem well, just outright medieval to whatever the generation that exists five hundred years from now. Uh, you know, to where they're going to sit there and say, "Yeah, you know, uh, those uh, McLaren and Jones—we know so much better than Jones and McLaren and and Jesus." And now we've got some new way of thinking about things. Yeah, the funny thing is, is that the more things change, the more they stay the same. In fact, somebody pointed out to me uh, while they were listening to uh, the uh, light edition uh, that we did for this week, 
the lecture on uh, Martin Luther versus, you know, on the bondage of the will, that Erasmus sounds kind of like a proto-emergent. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he really, really, really does. In fact, when you read the bondage of the will, it opens up, you know, Martin Luther opens it up with a shot across Erasmus's bow, basically saying that uh, Christians are asserters, asserters of truth. Yeah, we're we're not doubters. We're, we're Christians are into certainty, not doubt. And Erasmus sure does sound like a proto-emergent. Yeah, he does. And the reason why is because the more things change, the more they stay the same. And the really the reality is, is there's not really an infinite number of combinations for error. There's kind of a, you know there's there's a certain number of them, and they kind of cycle through. You know, uh, you know. So uh, right now we're kind of in this point where romantic uh, romanticism and irrationality is, uh, is the thing that's in vogue just give it a little bit of time that'll be pushed by the wayside it'll be some new iteration of a, of an old philosophy and well, yeah, that'll rise up to be the challenging contender against biblical christianity but the funny thing is, is that well biblical christianity has been here since the beginning and it will continue to be here until the end because Jesus Christ said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he's with us always, even to the end of the age. So, McKeel, you can trust Christ. Uh, as for Jones and Paget and, and McLaren, uh, um, you know, a hundred years from now, I don't think anyone's going to be reading them. The re- you know, Here's a funny thing. Those guys, they talk a lot about sustainability. I mean, they're really into that whole liberal line about sustainability and things like that. And what they're talking about is kind of the, you know, some of the slogans that surround the social gospel. But the reality is, is that McLaren's theology isn't sustainable. Uh, Tony Jones's theology, it isn't sustainable either. The reason why it's not sustainable, because it's not true. Yeah, you can't get to it honestly by an honest uh, by honest means of uh, of looking at what the biblical texts say. As a result of it, it's not sustainable. And once they exit the scene, their theology, well, it'll leave too. All right, moving along here. Um, hmm, let's see here. What do I want to do? Got to make a decision. Yeah, here, here's the next thing. Here we go. All right, here we go. Uh, the uh, headline reads, Confession app, no replacement for the real thing. Yeah, those of you Roman Catholics out there that are all, we're all excited about the the, uh, the iPhone application, you know, that you can uh, somehow uh, use that to, you know, go to confession. By the way, I... I don't think the app itself is a is a replacement for uh you know confession. I thought that, that you were just to examine your conscience in light of the 10 commandments and bring the app with you when you went into confession. But apparently uh, this is from the Huffington Post, uh confession app no replacement for the real thing says Vatican. Uh, by Francis X. Roca from uh, the Religion News Service, uh, the uh, uh, Dateline Vatican City. Uh, just in case Catholics are wondering if a new iPhone app might be able to forgive their sins, the Vatican has issued a clarification. You know. <laughs> so, yeah, those of you Catholics out there who you know downloaded and purchased this, uh, this confession app, yeah, the, this app itself cannot forgive you. Quote, one may not speak in any sense of confessing via the iPhone, the Reverend Federico Lombardi, director of the Holy See Press Office, said in a statement on Wednesday. Uh, that was yesterday. According to its uh, U.S. producers, quote, confession, a Roman Catholic app is designed to help users 
prepare for confession through a personalized examination of conscience for each other, uh, for each user, password-protected profiles, and a step-by-step guide to the sacrament. The Indiana-based company, uh, Little Eye Apps LLC, said it said its app is the first to receive uh, an uh, imprimatur or an official permission for publication from the Roman Catholic bishop. In this case, Bishop Kevin C. Rhodes of the the Diocese of Fort Wayne in South Bend. I did not know that those guys were out of Indiana. Anyway, Lombardi uh, from the Vatican said that, quote, the sacrament of penance necessarily requires the relationship of personal dialogue between the penitent and the confessor and absolution by the confessor present. Quote, this cannot be substituted for by an information technology application, he said. The Vatican has cautiously embraced information technology and new media in recent years, but Pope Benedict XVI uh, last month warned digital communication uh, uh, possesses special dangers to Christian values and uh, face-to-face relationships. So you know, if those of you Roman Catholics out there that were really hoping that, you know, hey, you know, I could just use this app, uh, you know, and and be forgiven by the app. Um, yeah, apparently, no. But, you know, this kind of leads to the question. Back in the, um, in the years leading up to the Reformation, uh, the... Um, the Pope was issuing indulgences, which, you know, these uh, indulgences, in a sense, were like, um, you can go and sin free, um, kind of thing. You, know, you were pre-absolved for any sin, you know, for particular sins. Um, if a if a piece of paper issued by the uh, uh, by the Vatican can be used to you know pre-absolve somebody of their sins or to help spring a you know a a, a family member out of purgatory makes you wonder if maybe what's really going on here is is that the Vatican plans on releasing its own official uh, uh, Vatican confessing app uh whereby you know or maybe you can you know, maybe you can purchase indulgences can you imagine the the monetary possibilities here i mean the idea you can download the official indulgence app from the uh, from the Vatican website and then and, and even Apple i mean i'm sure they would want to promote this cuz they would get 30% of the sales you know in app you know in application indulgence indulgence uh, purchases could you oh there you go i mean Maybe that's the reason why they're you know, they're they're not all that keen on this. I mean, you know, confession kind of implies that one-on-one relationship, but in the past, yeah, the the way the the uh, the Roman Catholic Church has uh, gotten around that one-on-one relationships was by selling indulgences, and maybe what they want to do is uh, sell indulgences on the iPhone instead. Uh, that would make perfect sense. I mean, you don't, you, yeah, you, you just want to make sure that you're you you're using the right application for the right application. Oh man, you just yeah. You, he, you know, I I speak in jest, but I worry that um, that what I'm talking about might actually come true in uh, in reality. Okay, let's see here. Um, you know what I'm going to do real quick here. Let's um. Yeah, that's right. And that that music can mean only one thing. It means that we're going to be listening to um, Patricia King. Or at least somebody from the Patricia King gang. In this sense, it's actually going to be Patricia King herself. That's right. Have you ever felt like throwing in the towel? Yeah, that, well, if you've ever felt that way, then this particular uh, audio from a video recently posted at uh, Patricia King's XP Media website. Yeah, well, then this is for you. Here's uh, Patricia King. Here we go. 
So, you want to throw in the towel? Have you ever felt like that? Of course. You know, funny that you would say that. You know, ask the question, Patricia. You know, actually, there, there have been a few times I have felt like throwing in the towel. Um, yeah, usually, I feel like throwing in the towel after I've, you know, been to the gym and been swimming. And then, I, you know, I've used a towel to dry off. Because then what I want to do is I want to throw the towel into the uh, laundry basket so that it, you know... You know, get the chlorine smell off of it. Of course you have. We all have. There are times in life that come and go, praise God that they go, um, where you just feel like throwing in the towel. There's times when you feel so discouraged and despairing. I remember just about a month ago, I was going through such a time when I, I went through about a four or five day period where I just kept getting hit emotionally, just moment by moment throughout an entire course of a few days. It was just like, I felt like like I was in the middle of a big battle. And um, yeah, you know, I, funny, you know, I, there, there have been a few times where I felt like I've been in the middle of a big battle. Kimblegate comes to mind. Throwing in the towel, though, did I ever, you know, I don't really know. It just one thing would hurt, then another thing would hurt, another thing would hurt. And I finally got to a place where I felt like throwing in the towel, just saying, why bother anymore? And it's such a dumb place to be, isn't it? Because it, you know. Yeah, it's just dumb. Yeah. So, what's your solution to those who, you know, who are in the dumb spot of wanting to throw in the towel? I'm, I'm curious. I mean, what's your solution? I mean, because I mean, what you're describing here, I'm, 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 I, I know that a lot of my listeners have experienced that feeling of want to throw in the towel. Maybe you know they've been embroiled in some kind of a big dramatic event or uh, some family battle, or you know, maybe they're just. Uh, Maybe not getting along with their spouse. I mean, we've all had those feelings of, you know, wanting to throw in the towel, I'm sure. Um, but what's the solution? I mean, do you have some quick spiritual uh, fix it that, you know, that will, you know, help us to overcome the uh, the dreaded feeling of throw in the towelness? Well, let's see place to be isn't it because it you know it doesn't do you any good it doesn't get you anywhere it certainly doesn't brighten your day and I realized when I was in this moment of self-pity thinking oh poor little old me I'm being so mistreated right now that I thought I need to make a decision to rise up and be more than a conqueror ah there you go so that's the solution okay so um, this is very helpful, Patricia. I really, truly appreciate the service that you're providing my listeners here. Um, so if I'm experiencing that feeling of throwing the talness, uh, the, the, what I really need to do is just make a decision to become more than a conqueror. See, there you go. I mean, I didn't realize that it was just that simple. Wow. Whew. New form of decision theology, apparently, here. There's no sense throwing in the towel and saying, I'm defeated, because that's a lie. We are more than conquerors in Christ. We win every battle. We rise up. Even what? We, we, we do? We win every battle? You know, you know when I think about the, uh, the Christian martyrs, those who have actually lost their lives for confessing, Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. You know, somehow when I think about 
Christian martyrs who've you know been you know thrown to the lions, or you think of Nero using Christians as like you know backyard barbecue torches, you know, you know, because you know back in those days they didn't have electricity. I mean, so you know, if you wanted to have a nighttime party, you know, in the in the backyard, you know, you had to have some way of lighting things up, you know, and so Nero he would use Christians, you know, just dunk them in tar, stick them on a stick, and then you know light them up and you know. There you go. You have your backyard uh, lighting uh, so that you can, you know, you can party into the night. Uh, so somehow, I think those poor Christians weren't exactly feeling like you, they would win every victory. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Just that's the thing where my mind goes to, you know. But maybe all they needed to do, you know, while they, you know, while they were being dunked in the tar, stuck on the stick, and you know, as they they were getting ready to be, you know, ignited, all they really needed to do was just think, I'm more than a conqueror, and then poof, you know, it, things would have turned out differently for them. Yeah, it's just you know, it makes you wonder. In Christ, we win every battle. We rise up, even though we're cast down, we rise up every time, and we can turn anything that's adverse into a blessing. Really? Yeah, I just, (laughs) I don't see that really playing out either biblically or in reality. But then again, the limitations of reality never have seemed to be much of a boundary for you, Patricia. That is the absolute truth of the Word of God. And I want to minister right now to any of you that are feeling like throwing in the towel. You know, there can be... Really, how how do you say that you're going to minister to me? I mean, what does that mean exactly? Can you please give me the definition of the term minister at this point? You're just Does ministering mean you're just going to hocus-pocus, use some bizarre little words that you've created and some kind of spiritual affirmations based upon your goofy theology? Is that how you're going to minister to me? Many reasons why. Maybe things aren't working out at your workplace, and maybe things financially aren't good, or maybe things relationally aren't really good, and, you know, things are just going really bad for you, and, and you know... You- maybe the reason why things are going bad for you relationally is maybe because you're not being a very good uh, person in the relationship. Maybe, maybe you're backstabbing. Maybe you're being unattentive. You know, may- Have you ever stopped to think that, you know, all these guys who keep talking about relational issues... It, it, I mean, they make it sound like you're a victim, but you know, the one thing I've noticed is is that when relationships head south, generally there's there's reasons for it. it you know, for instance, okay, you know, let's say that you and uh, you've discovered like the person of your dreams, or you think you have, and you know, this is some some gal that you work with, or you know, maybe you know, as a friend of a friend that you've been introduced to via a blind date. It doesn't matter, but you start the relationship off, and things are going relatively well. But then what's happened is, is that you've been kind of grumpy, and you've been snappy at that person, and 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 you haven't really been returning their phone calls, and and communication's broken down, and so you finally decide that you're going to you know contact them because you think, you think well, you know, maybe I you know, I need to do that, and then when you you know make the phone call, you realize, whoa, this person's actually not very happy at me. But see, the reason why they're not happy at you, well, is they have good reasons for it because you've been a, pretty much a, a jerk. Um, you, you see, in in a situation like that, um, is, is are you suffering from throwing the towelness or you just, do you need to repent of being a, just basically a jerk? You, you, understand, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, relationships go bad for reasons. You know, they, 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 yeah. 
just turn around and every time you turn around something's going wrong but if you focus on all of that and your emotions get pulled down into despair then you're going to be in worse trouble because that negativity will suck in more negativity i'm oh yeah because you know that that big black hole known as negativity you know it it you know neg- the negativity black hole actually it circles the moon i don't know if you all know this you can't see it though because it's black it circles the moon, and what it does is as it clo- passes close to the earth, what it does is is that its negativity you know it it sucks in it 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 sucks in the happiness from the earth, and so when it passes close to your region, you know if you're feeling the uh, the happiness in your life being drained from you yeah it's that it's that invisible black hole that's circling the moon called negativity encouraging you and exhorting you right now to just make a quality decision in this moment to rise up strong and say, I'm going to make the best of this. In fact, I'm going to put a demand on this circumstance that it's going to work for me instead of against me. You're going to put a demand on the circumstance. Really? And where does the Bible say that we can put demands on circumstances? Yeah, that's like, okay, circumstance out there, you know, whatever the, your circumstances, I'm putting a demand on you, and and I've made a decision to rise up and to be more than a conqueror and... You know, I think the circumstances don't have ears, and the the circumstance, you know, if if it were, if you could personify it, it would turn around and look at you like, what a dupe! You really think that that's what this is what's going to solve the problem? <laughs> you are such a fool. That is going to make me a better person rather than destroy me as a person. Amen? The decision is yours. You can go into a victim mentality or you can go into a victor's mentality. Come on. Rise up as a victor. Uh, this is just bad advice. It's just bad advice. Right now. Let me pray for you. No, no, no. no. You don't get to pray for me, Patricia. So there you go. I mean, if you're feeling like you're suffering from throw in the towelness. All you've got to do is rise up and proclaim yourself to be more than a conqueror and then demand, put demands on the circumstances and whammo, blammo, poofy, whatever, um, you know, the, everything will turn around because you've decided to not be a victim but to be a victor. Yet uh, it makes you wonder um, uh, what your contribution is to your throw in the talentless circumstance, um, you know, because you're you um, sin. And uh, you actually may be the problem. So, uh, but <laughs> yeah, that theology wouldn't fly very well over there at the Patricia King <clears throat> Extreme Prophetic um, Broadcast. Anyway, all right, we're up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. By the way, there are other listeners there who have discussions about these things. Or you can uh, follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. Hello. I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey. I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for fire starter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see here. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. 
Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, listening to this program could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church. Especially if they're not giving you to the goods. Sound biblical doctrine, Christ and Him crucified for our sins. You know the important stuff? Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith in Pirate Christian Radio. It's not a lot of money to you, but that's kind of the idea, is that what we want to do is we want to spread out our expenses across a large amount of listeners so that what happens is, is that month after month we have that consistent income so that we can better plan our budget our expenses, our growth, and things of that nature. So if you uh, don't already subscribe, uh, uh, well, support us via that way, please do so. Or if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, there's two ways to do that. You can uh, click on the Donate button, or you can write a check, you know, make it payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, moving along here, uh, let me uh, place some, well, let me play a little bit of audio from a video to kind of set this up. Uh, tomorrow, uh, the uh, the brand new Justin Bieber movie comes out. Ooh, and I can hardly wait. Let's uh, let's listen to what this is all about. Video, and I'll be his fan so he posts his last video. He really stories how tough it is for adults. He's 16 and he's doing it all on his own. The first time we met, he almost passed me by. He's such an inspiration. He came from like such a small town. It gives us hope. I think to myself, I was once chilling in my room just in a regular place, and now I'm in this big world. It's just crazy how it all came around. He's living an extraordinary life, but it's just like you and me. That's kind of the important part. There's going to be times when people can't will tell you you can't live your dreams. Hang on to that thought. This is what I'm telling you. 
Yeah, there we go. In real 3D, of course. Um, so the uh, Justin Bieber movie comes out, and, uh, well, the uh, Religion News Service uh, has a, a headline feature entitled Justin Bieber Tween Evangelist? Question mark. Uh, Chicago, with a smooth voice and signature mop of hair, which, by the way, I think Stephen Furtick likes a lot because uh, <laughs> Stephen Furtick has emulated Justin Bieber's hair a couple of times, and I'm sure it was very expensive to do that. Anyway, um, a signature mop of hair and a string of hits, Justin Bieber has accumulated millions of fans and has sold 3.7 million albums in the United States last year. Now, Bieber's handlers are showcasing another side of the 16-year-old pop sensation and that side is Christian icon for the tween set. <clears throat> okay, Bieber's faith is on display in the new 3D concert film documentary, Justin Bieber Never Say Never. Yeah, because what we really need is a documentary of Justin Bieber's life. Oh, my heart is going pitter-patter. Anyway, anyway, it hits theaters uh, Friday, February 11th. That's tomorrow. Paramount Pictures has screened the movie for faith leaders across the country, read Seeker-Driven Pastors, uh, and distributed spiritual discussion guides, the same tools used to promote the passion of the Christ and the blind side, saying that this is a family-friendly fair. Well, that, I mean, that's great and all. I'm I'm glad that uh, Justin Bieber isn't going to be grabbing his crotch and... Uh, you know, wearing next to nothing and and having slutty background dancers. I mean, that's all great and everything. But yeah, notice Paramount Pictures has put together a spiritual discussion guide. Yeah, this this we've got a problem here. And of course, what we do here at Fighting for the Faith, we don't just say, okay, there's an issue, and just you say, oh, it's terrible. No, no, we want to look at the content. The part of discernment is actually looking at things and looking at what's being said and asking discerning questions. Um, So uh, I've actually been to the Paramount website and I've downloaded the Justin Bieber Spiritual Discussion Guide. And uh, I thought we would spend a little bit of time, well, you know, looking at the the content of it, you know what I mean? And to see if, if Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins is the central message of Justin Bieber's spiritual discussion guide. And so without any further ado, let me uh, let me just, well, let's take a look and, uh, and see what it says. The name of the discussion guide, by the way, is Discussion Guide Never Say Never for Nothing is Impossible with God. Justin Bieber Never Say Never. It's got fine, wholesome pictures of Justin Bieber and his mop top haircut with his mother, which is very wholesome. Anyway, um, let's, let's uh, take a look at some of the questions. So here we go. Uh, question number one, uh, the sec- first section in here is discerning God's plan for your life. Wealth, honor, pleasure, these are goals that the world promotes, but God wants us to focus on other things. Even if he creates a path for us in the entertainment industry, God wants us to steer clear of the false values of the world that destroy the soul. Okay, yeah, all right. Life isn't about enjoying ourselves all the time. We're supposed to love one another. What entails... Uh, uh, what entails denying ourselves, sometimes serving others, and being generous at the same time? He doesn't want us to hide our light, so in short, he wants us to be in the world but not of the world. Moralism, we're hearing morals. They're Christian morals, okay. Spiritual discernment involves calling on the Holy Spirit to lead us or provide direction on a matter. It is how the Spirit shows us what God wants us to do and to become. 
Yet the thing is, the Holy Spirit has already told us what he wants us to do. See Ten Commandments if you're a little uh, confused there. Anyway, discernment is more than just a skill. It's a gift, yet we can become better at it through training and experience. It usually isn't a sudden zap from above, but something which emerges from prayer. Bible reading and quiet reflection. Whatever your dream may be, God wants you to become salt and light in the world and direct people to his truth. Sometimes his plans are not consistent with our own. When that's the case, we need to have the courage to follow our conscience, which is where we can hear his voice. If only we will listen, learn to discern, yearn to discern. This is all from the Justin Bieber, Nothing is Impossible with God spiritual discussion guide. What does this sound like to me? This sounds exactly like the same seeker-driven, chase-your-dreams kind of pablum that we've been reviewing over and over again here at Fighting for the Faith. In other words, it sounds to me like the kind of uh, Christian that Justin Bieber is, is that he's obviously come under the influence of the seeker-driven pastors, and he thinks Christianity is all about listening for God's special voice to lead you into your dreams. In other words, uh, Justin Bieber is the epitome of a seeker-driven youth. So here are some of the questions. Have you had the experience of thinking you were being led by God to do something and it turned out not to be so? What were the consequences? What kind of matters have you sought God's guidance about? Have How have the results surprised you? Have you ever used God's will as a cover for your own plans or ideas? So read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 20 through 21. By all means, use your judgment and hold on to whatever is good. Among the gifts of the Spirit, few are greater in terms of practical usefulness than the gift of discernment. Now notice how the gift of discernment is being described here. Apparently in Justin Bieber's uh, theology, uh, the gift of discernment isn't about discerning truth from error. It's about discerning God's special purpose or calling on your life. This is problematic, don't you think? Anyway, um, let's continue reading. Um, This gift enables us to distinguish the chaff from the wheat and to separate the lures of the flesh from the operations of the spirit. Not every option that presents itself in our lives is good. Developing skills of discernment helps to filter out the distractions, avoid sin, and then stay on the right track. Okay. So then we're uh, told to read Luke 12, uh, 57. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? And then read Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Uh, we continue, it is important that we judge things properly. If a person with a, a appendicitis is diagnosed as having an ulcer, it may seem a, a mere matter of terminology, but if judged improperly, the treatment could have dire consequences. Discernment by outward appearances only with inner reflection can lead only to confuse cause and affect symptom and problem and can be devastating despite the best of intentions. Ignorance is not an excuse we need to discern. So uh, read First uh, Samuel sixteen seven. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Oh, okay. Sometimes we tell ourselves that we are prayerfully and intelligently following our hearts, but if what we feel in our hearts is a result, it, it, as a result of the discernment, is superiority, scandal, uh, bitterness, or a desire to detach ourselves from others, then trust that it is not of God. God looks at the heart. If if what we know about others isn't useful to them or us, we should forget what we know, it's poison. So lesson to learn, one of the keys to discernment is surrender. If we treat, if we treat I as the emperor of all things, 
we won't be in the right place to find out what God wants us wants of us. In fact, this selfish imperial view of existence lies at the heart of all sin. We act as if we're God. Oh, good, we're finally getting to something that is a real sin, okay? Uh, the emperor eye has no clothes. We need to set aside what we want and join with Jesus in his ultimate prayer, yet not as I will, but as you will. Ah, boy. Um, yeah, we got a problem here, and that is is that as I continue to go through the Justin Bieber uh, spiritual discussion guide, um, I wouldn't want my children learning this brand of Christianity. Um, it seems like it's rife with Jedi Knight subjectivism. It's not properly handling God's Word. It is supremely actually focused on I, despite what it claims. Um, I'm not hearing about repentance and the forgiveness of sins here. Uh, so we got the importance of godly friendships. We got the power of prayer, uh, goal setting, hard work and perseverance. Okay. So here's a section on goal setting. All right. Um, perhaps the most emotionally impactful aspect of Justin Bieber, never say never, is the intense effort Justin Bieber puts forth to accomplish his goal of sharing his talent and happy disposition with his ever-growing fan base. Oh, what a great guy. I'm sure Jesus is his co-pilot. Anyway, uh, we watch in awe as he overcomes obstacles and pushes relentlessly forward, and we come to care deeply for him as health dangers threaten to derail his dream. He pushes himself hard to meet the demands of his rigorous tour schedule and the expectations of his fans. Work is a man's original vocation. It is a blessing from God, and those who consider it a punishment are mistaken. The Lord, who is the best of fathers, placed the first man in paradise that he should be that he should that that he would work. To work is an an inescapable duty for all Christians. It is the means of discovering and carrying out our destinies and attracting others to God. Jesus is our ultimate model when he comes to work. As an adolescent, as a young man, he disputed with the doctors in the temple and uh, and then worked for the next two decades in Joseph's workshop in silence and obscurity and submission. The discipline is a word that derives from discipleship. A disciple is one who is disciplined. In spite of everything, they set goals, work hard, and they persevere. For a disciple, failing is an, is an invitation to pick oneself back up and begin again. Think of the Apostle Peter. He failed spectacularly when his big moment came. Unlike Judas, though, he recognized that he would get back up. Seek forgiveness and try to do better next time. He did just that and went the distance, providing leadership to the early church. Success is built upon failure and perseverance is the cornerstone. No matter what struggle you might face, no matter what you're up against, no matter how many times you fail, never quit. Yeah, why do I feel like Justin Bieber is probably going to uh, end up going to uh, New Spring and Elevation and telling everybody to follow their dreams. I'm sure he's learned how to pray sun stand still prayers. And you're thinking, Chris, right, well, slow down there, dude. This kid's only 16. Yeah, um, yeah, I know he's only 16, but here's the problem, okay? This Christianity that he's come under, he's now trying to, well, give to his 3.7 million fans, the millions of teeny bopper girls who are going to go and they're going to want to be just like Justin Bieber. 
Justin Bieber has obviously learned his Christianity from the seeker-driven set. The Christianity that he's promoting then as a result is, well, it's not the biblical Christianity. It's the the supremely me-focused, learn your destiny, use the force to hear uh, hear God's dream and destiny for your life, set goals and persevere to get there kind of Christianity. And uh, now it's, it's uh, well, that Christianity that was originally developed by Rick Warren, and I would say was in a prototype version uh, by Robert Schuller, um, is now, well, it's gone to the next generation. And so 3.7 million kids are going to go see the Never Say Never um, Justin Bieber movie. And, uh, and, well, Paramount Pictures put this discussion guide together and previewed it for faith leaders so that they – they can use this as a Christian tool to teach Justin Bieber's Christianity to the youths in their congregations. You know, it, yeah, it's wholesome. Yeah, we're not going to have Justin Bieber cussing, cursing, using drugs, smoking, drinking, or anything of that sort. But um, unfortunately, the Christianity that's promoted in this discussion guide, it ain't biblical Christianity. We've got a big problem. So that's the reason why... I uh, don't want my kids to be emulating Justin Bieber's uh, Christianity. By the way, though, I'm, I'm pretty happy to announce that my youngest daughter, is um, she has no desire whatsoever to see this movie. In fact, when I told her about it, and she rolled her eyes and looked at me and she said, Dad, seriously, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Love my daughters. Yeah, kind of a bizarre topic for me to be talking about. But the reality is this. You don't want your children emulating Justin Bieber's Christianity. The Christianity he's been taught is that me-focused, follow your dreams, learn your purpose, uh, listen for the voice of God to uh, learn your destiny kind of Christianity. And that's not biblical. All right, we're up on our second break. When we come back, we're going to be listening to yet another um a sermon from Kerry Shook where he takes a male kind of theme, you know, power tools, if you would, and uh, sucks it dry of all of the testosterone and, and ends up, uh, well, you, you'll have to listen to it. So if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Almighty Fortress, it is 
Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. Before we get into that, though, um, I want to make something clear. This is the Christianity that Justin Bieber has been taught. He's just passing along what he believes. But what he's been taught is not true Christianity. I think it's important to make that distinction. Let's get the sermon review started. Here we go. The good, the bad, and the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Carrie Shook Ministries. Uh, Carrie Shook is the pastor of one of the premier purpose-driven churches down there in um, Houston, Texas, in the Woodlands. It's known as Fellowship of the Woodlands. Today's sermon is entitled, Sandpaper. This is a sermon that will include the use of power tools. And, uh, well, I just think it is an interesting thing, what ends up happening with this particular sermon. Now, I want you to pay close attention to how he uh, handles God's Word, and see if the way he tells the story really convinces people that they're sinners in need of a Savior. I mean, you'll hear, you know, some kind of a gospel call at the end, almost in the um, same vein as a Joel Osteen type of thing. He does model himself a little bit after Joel Osteen, kind of mixed with Rick Warren into the mix. But uh, there's something, you know, I think it's important that we review here before uh, we um, get the sermon started. So let me kill the music. All right. that Listen carefully. Kerry Shook is one of the premier purpose-driven pastors, okay? And uh, he buys into purpose-driven preaching uh, methodology and purposes. Now, so here's Rick uh, Rick Warren explaining what purpose-driven preaching is all about. Listen carefully. Purpose-driven preaching is based on the great commission of Jesus. Let's read it together. Therefore, 
go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now circle that phrase, to obey. Yeah, by the way, if you know that uh, Greek word there, it actually could be better rendered observe or guard. Yeah, he's going with the obey translation because for him it's all about obeying and making yourself blessable. The goal of preaching, I know I'm being redundant, but I want you to get this. The goal of preaching is not instruction. The goal of preaching is not information. The goal of preaching is obedience. All right, so the goal of purpose-driven preaching is obedience. Carrie Shook, being one of the premier purpose-driven preachers on the planet. Notice the alliteration. Um, let's now uh, listen in to the Sandpaper Sermon. Ask yourself, if after listening to this sermon, <clears throat> if the, per- the people who buy into this sermon are going to be more obedient after uh, you know applying the things that the sermon wants you to apply. Here we go. Thank you for joining us for today's message from Pastor Carrie Shook. For more information about Carrie Shook Ministries, please visit us online at www.carrieshook.org. There's the power tools. He's using a drill or something. Hey, how are you doing today? Just doing a little bit of sanding. It's like a bad episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. You know, we all know that sanding can be very useful when it comes to woodworking or finishing furniture. But if you take sandpaper and you rub it against your skin, it doesn't feel too good. It's irritating. It's painful. And we all have people in our lives that are sort of like sandpaper. They- okay, now, did you hear that? We all have people in our lives that are sort of like sandpaper. So apparently this is going to teach you how to be more obedient by helping you deal with those sandpaper people. Not the sand people from Star Wars, but the sandpaper people, the people who just, you know, grate on you. Interesting, though, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of a funny way to talk. I mean, so the problem is the other people, not me. Hmm. They irritate us. They rub us the wrong way. They get under our skin. I call them sandpaper people. We all have sandpaper people. What, what does the Bible call them, Carrie? I mean, uh, where are the sandpaper people mentioned in the, uh, in the Bible? People in our lives, and some of them, fortunately, we rarely have to see. Others, on the other hand, you may have to see them every single day at your workplace. And some of them you may even live in the same house with. Sandpaper people are everywhere. Not only are there sandpaper people, but there's also what I call sandpaper stuff. Those are the little irritating things in our lives that can turn into big things if we don't deal with them correctly. Uh, so where does the Bible mention all these little irritating things in our lives? And where are the big advice chapters in the Bible that, de- that deal with, you know, how to deal with all those, you know, sandpaper-like irritants? It can even be something as small as a telephone that doesn't work in a hotel room. Just ask Russell Crowe. Not even the rich and famous can get away from sandpaper people and sandpaper stuff, and neither can you and I. Well, we're concluding the series today that we've been in the last several weeks that I'm calling Sandcastles, is we've been learning how to build a lasting legacy that the waves of life can never wash away. Because so much of what we do in life 
is like building sandcastles on the beach. It's not going to last. Relationships are the key to building a lasting legacy because they're the only thing that's going. So, so the 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 uh, according to Carrie Shook, apparently there's a major section in the Bible that's all about teaching you how to build a lasting legacy so that everybody remembers y- your legacy. Seems a bit narcissistic, don't you think? Going to last, but that's easier said than done because we all have to get along with sandpaper people in our lives, and sometimes it's the people. Yeah, those dreaded sandpaper people. Yeah, you know, my I would be so much more obedient to Jesus if it wasn't for those sandpaper people. Give me some strategies to deal with them so that, you know, I don't stumble and do bad things and, and uh, you know, make myself unblessable because I don't properly handle sandpaper people. People we love the most that irritate us the most. Let me ask you, how many of you have someone in your life, in your family, Someone at your workplace, maybe a coworker, a boss, an employee, or a friend, or a neighbor who irritates you. Go ahead and raise your hand. Let's just get it all out right here. A little therapy at church today. It's okay to raise your hand. Yeah, that was telling. A little therapy at church today. Yeah, that's pretty much what he does every Sunday. A little therapy. I don't know about biblical teaching, but therapy, yes. Do you have biblical doctrine, sound doctrine that focus in on, focuses in on Christ and him crucified for our sins, proclaims repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name? Yeah, not so much. No, no, no. Your hand, because some of the people that just raised their hands were probably thinking about you. <laughs> we're all sandpaper people. We all irritate other people at times. And <sighs> oh, well, there's a bold confession. See, I mean, now that makes it okay because we're all... We're all sandpaper people sometimes is that sinful did christ die for my sandpaperness and that's part of god's plan for your life yes you heard me correctly that's part of god's plan for my life god allows sandpaper people into my life so that he can craft me into a tool for his use look at our first verse in ephesians 2 10 it says for we are whoa, 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 slow down there text yeah, I want to point something out here. Notice he's beginning with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. If you have your Bible, flip on over to Ephesians chapter 2. This is a section of Scripture I find myself quoting frequently on this program. But I want you to <clears throat> I want to point something out to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, way out of context here. But watch this. Hey, let me read it to you out of context the way he's going to do and uh, see if really this is the primary thrust of this passage. Here we go. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ta-da! See? You've got to, you've God's created you to do good works, so get out and do them. Go. Um, yeah, um, here's the problem. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the word for, yeah, um, it, um, the, the Greek word there is gar, it basically means, this is a conjunction, this is, you remember the, I've talked about this before, I apologize for the redundancy, but I think it's a, it's a pretty decent illustration. Y'all remember the, uh, the Schoolhouse Rock videos that used to appear on ABC on Saturday mornings? There was one that was called Conjunction Junction, What's That Function? Yeah, it, the way it went, Conjunction Junction, What's That Function? 
hooking up phrases and you know anyway the idea is is that conjunctions in a sentence the idea behind a conjunction is is that it connects two disconnected thoughts and so when you begin a sentence with the conjunction for um you, the idea is we're connecting two different thoughts here and so uh carry uh, uh, shook here is um he's well he's unconnect he disconnected the thought prior to this thought but the two thoughts are supposed to go together. So let, let me help him out here. Let's, um, let, so here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll read, we'll get some context. Our, our three primary rules for sound biblical exegesis, okay? They are <clears throat> context, context, and context. Always put things back in context. So let's take a look at what's going on here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you... You Christians in Ephesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and its thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature objects of God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us up with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. And it's not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Yeah, don't you find it a little odd that uh, that Carrie Shook would, uh, you know, quote Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and not quote, you know, the other thought that the conjunction for hooks up to, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's uh, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Hmm, I just find it a little bit odd here that he just kind of missed that little piece there and, uh, well, let's back it up just a smidge, and you'll hear how he completely avoids the main thrust of the passage there, which is the gospel, the good news that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. Yeah, let's just skip right over that and just go right to the works part. You know. Tool for his use. Look at our first verse in Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Underline that word workmanship. In the Greek... That word literally means a work of art or a masterpiece. God says he's creating you to be a masterpiece. He's making you into a beautiful tool for his use. You're created to do good works. Yeah, now, why is it? Okay, here's the deal. We gotta, we gotta, this is problematic, and I'll tell you why this is problematic. Carrie uh, Shook is a seeker-driven, purpose-driven, uh, methodological guy. He does his church service the way he does his church service in order for it to be relevant to so-called seekers. 
Um, well, that being the case, there's you know there's a bunch of people that we have to assume that in the congregation who have not yet, in the terms that the seeker-driven guys use, have not yet crossed the line of faith. And as a result of it, um, it's don't you think it's a little bit irresponsible to tell a group of people who are not Christians that they're God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works when um, they may not they they well they don't trust in Christ. You see, the for you are sa- we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the work of yeah. All of that means that the verse ten is not applicable to unbelievers. It's only applicable to believers. Notice how he's taking it, by quoting it out of context, he's now able to apply it universally when it's not meant to be applied universally. You see, God's plan, God's purpose for me is that he creates me to be a powerful tool to be used for his glory. Now, that sounds wonderful. Uh, That sounds just spiritual. But the problem is, how do I get along with all the other tools in the shed? Because there's some tools that cause me trouble. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there a slang term that, you know, kind of you know, one way to speak disparagingly about somebody is to call them a tool? I'm just wondering. And irritate me. How do I get along with all the other people around me? How do I get along with problem people, sandpaper people? If everybody was normal like me, it would be real easy. <laughs> but it's very difficult. Well, the Bible says there are four keys, four principles to getting along with sandpaper people. Really, the Bible says there's four keys to getting along with sandpaper people. Wow, I had no idea. I've read the Bible through so many times, I must have missed it. Where does the Bible say, and here are the four keys to getting along with sandpaper people? Now, if the Bible, re- I mean, I mean, if this is really one of the major concerns of Scripture, then we should see it as a clear teaching in the Bible, right? Yeah, no, what we're seeing here is you're going to see eisegesis. You're going to see verses taken out of context and woven together to fit Carrie Shook's theology. But what you're, not, what you're going to hear here, this isn't biblical theology. This isn't sound doctrine. This isn't wholesome. This is poison. And really building relationships that will build a lasting legacy in your life. Number one, I gain the carpenter's perspective on people and pressure. I need to see the people I'm struggling with in a whole new light. I need to see the people I'm having a problem with and conflict with from a whole new perspective, from Christ's perspective. Now, I made a list of all the irritating tools that cause trouble in our lives and the way we see them. The first one is what I call the measuring tape. You'll recognize the measuring tape. The measuring tape. It's what I call the measuring tape. Where does the Bible call them measuring tapes? Hmm? Why are we hearing your ideas rather than God's? Tape is that person who always lets you know that you don't quite measure up. They're the unpleasable perfectionist. And they always look down on everyone else. They think they're the ones that set the standard. They're the measuring tape. They're real judgmental, always letting you know that you just don't quite measure up. So how many of you know a measuring tape? Raise your hand. We all know a measuring tape. Those perfectionists are ready to point out all your faults and all your flaws. We have measuring tapes at the office. We have measuring tapes in our homes. Now, there's another type of person that I I really believe you're going to recognize, and that is the hammer. The hammer is about as subtle as a freight train. Yeah, it's all those other people. You got those measuring tapes and those hammers. Yeah, all right. 
The hammer's demanding and pushy. They always try to get their way. And everyone walks on eggshells around the hammer because you never know when the hammer's going to come down. Yeah, this is, uh, I think, the epitome of uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. Yeah. How many of you know a hammer? Yes, everybody knows a hammer. Definitely. Well, we've got the hammer, and then we've got one that I think you're going to recognize. The skill saw. You know the skill saw? See if you recognize it. The skill saw is really skilled at cutting people down. They know just the right thing to say that hurts the most in an argument. It may be a sarcastic remark. It may be a straightforward remark. But they have this uncanny, unspiritual gift for knowing just the right thing to say that hurts the most in an argument. That's the skill saw. How many of you know a skill saw? Raise your hand. All right. This next person, you'll recognize. The vice grip. You recognize them? Yeah, you recognize them. The vice grip is the... Yeah, notice here, the way he's preaching. Yeah, he's teaching you to see all the sins in other people, but not really the sins in you, really. Oh, yeah, we all know some vice grip people. We all know some skill saw people. We all know some hammers and some measuring tapes. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, those nasty measuring tape people. I hate them. I spit it in their general direction. Yeah. The person that gets a grip on you and they don't know when to let go. They're so needy, they just suck the life out of you. Otherwise known as the leech. They have no clue when it comes to social boundaries. Look, you recognize the vice grip. How many of you know a vice grip? Yeah, don't hang around them, okay? No. <laughs> All right, this next one I think you're going to recognize as well. The grinder. The grinder has an explosive personality, and wherever they go, the sparks are always flying. They explode in anger. Ugh, this is such a waste of good power tools. Ugh. I feel like I need to go watch an episode of Home Improvement to get this sermon out of my mind. Now, the grinder, after they explode in anger, they feel a whole lot better. They got it off their chest. Just that everyone else feels a whole lot worse. It feels like a bomb exploded. But that's the grinder. How many of you know a grinder? Yep. Got to deal with grinders out there. There are a lot of different types of tools that irritate us. Well, not only is there the grinder, but there's another one you'll recognize, the axe. Remember the axe? They always have an axe to grind. They're always negative. They're always complaining. They're always grumbling. There's always a cloud hanging over their head. You know, everything is always bad. Nothing you can do impresses them. So how are we to deal with all of these terrible, terrible tools that, that, that just are so disruptive in our lives and irritating? Should we love them? Should we forgive them? Because Christ has forgiven us of all of our irritatingness. And boy, that sure does make light of sin, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think it's not this my sin is just irritating to other people. It's It's what it really is, true wretched sinfulness they always see the glass as half empty rather than half full and the axe also has a cousin called the hatchet that's the people who hold on to a hurt and they don't know how to bury the hatchet they've been hurt in their past and so they hold on to that hurt they don't know how to let it go but they take it out let it go how about forgive 
That, that's a Christian category that's talked about in the Bible somewhere. Out on everyone else in the present. That's the hatchet. But then there's also what I call putty people. Putty people are people that have no consistency. Recognize putty people, they really never tell you what they think or what they feel. They just try to please everyone that they're around. They're the people pleasers. They have no backbone. They're just trying to please the people they're around. You never really know what they're thinking. They may not even know what they really feel or think. They're just trying to please people, and that's their goal in life. They're the putty people. Now, yeah, those, those wretched putty people. Oh, down with the putty people. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, Kerry, how in the world am I supposed to get along with all these irritating tools? Yeah. Oh, man, I feel like I just need to isolate myself from all those irritating tools out there. In the shed. How am I supposed to get along with all these different sandpaper-type people that I have to relate to? And some of you are probably thinking, that's really weird. You just described everyone in my family to a T. Yeah, how about described everybody in the congregation? See, the thing, when you preach God's law, and you preach it lawfully, okay, everybody listening, is they're going to sit there and go, yikes, that's me. But so far, the way he's been preaching this it's, oh, yeah, them, those irritating people. I oh, I know I'm better than they are, but uh, thank you, Pastor. I, I'm really looking forward to getting some more life skills that I can use in order to figure out how to better deal with those irritating people out there. Pray for me, Pastor Kerry. How do we do that? Well, the Bible says we've got to get a whole new perspective on the sandpaper people in our lives. We need Christ's perspective. And to do that first, we have to realize that we're all in the same toolbox. We're all in the same boat. John Ortberg has written a book. It's called Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. And it's true. What is normal anyway? We're all different. We're all unique. Nobody- yeah, John Ortberg's uh, by, uh, books, by the way, are not found in the biblical text. I just thought you know, if you were confused about that, John Ortberg is not the Apostle John. Yeah, just saying. Nobody's normal. What is normal anyway? Uh, nobody I know is normal. You're not normal. I'm not normal. We're all unique. There's no one else in the world like you. We're all different. We're all in the same toolbox. We're all in the same boat. Now, that's not easy for us to realize because I would rather point out someone else's faults and flaws than to look at my own, to realize I'm in the same boat with them. Jesus. Oh, oh, so the whole point of saying, oh, we're all in the same toolbox is some kind of really watered-down way of saying, yeah, you irritate people too without him really saying it so clearly as that. Oh, brother. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus was saying that many times we see a little speck of sawdust in our brother's eye. And we see this little speck of sawdust, this fault, this problem, this sin, this character flaw, and we're so good at pointing it out. We're really good at seeing the sawdust in everybody else's eyes. And we point it out and we say, you got a real problem there. Or did you hear about that guy's problem? Did you hear about this problem? 
We're real good at gossiping about other people's problems. We're real good at pointing out other people's problems. We're real good at pointing out the sawdust in others' eyes. But Jesus said, here's the problem. You're trying to get the sawdust out of someone's eye when you got a two-by-four in your own eye. You know what's funny is, is that I've heard so many sermons on that particular verse, but that particular verse was part of an entire sermon. May I suggest that you go back and read the entire sermon? It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's just one little bullet point in the bigger Sermon on the Mount. So you're not really being taught the Sermon on the Mount. He's just kind of picked this out because, oh, well, this is an application thing. And see, if you apply this, you're going to be more obedient. Right. I So far, I mean, he, I don't think he's convicted anybody of doing anything except for taught us all how to look at all the irritating people in our lives and go, yeah, they irritate me. And so now the solution to dealing with irritating people is, well, to understand that all that sawdust in their eyes, well, I, I have my own planks to deal with, too. <sighs> uh. There are a lot of two-by-four people, and they're walking around going, hey, did you see that problem in their life? My goodness, I'm glad I don't have that problem. Yeah, rather than preaching the law to show that everybody is screwed up, that we're all irritants, that we're all sinful, that we all do things to hurt other people, that we haven't loved God with all of our hearts and loved our neighbors as ourselves, and therefore stand condemned before a holy and just God, oh, we're just going to make light of it. See, see, the problem is is that you just don't see the, the silliness of the whole situation. You see, you're sitting there trying to help other people get you know sawdust out of their eyes, and you don't even see that you have a big old plank sticking out of your eye. <laughs> that's just that's the silliest thing in the whole world. So you just need to understand that you have planks that you got to deal with first. And tell you, and how do I deal with that again, Pastor? Is, is it the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross? And they're walking around, and they're really good at saying, ooh, did you see that guy? You know what their secret sin is? And they're just walking around with a two-by-four all the time. Now, notice Jesus didn't say, just ignore the sawdust. He didn't say that at all. In fact, a lot of people today say, whenever you point something out of sin, then you're being judgmental, very judgmental. Well, that's not it at all. You know, we have to call sin, sin. There is right and there is wrong. Do you care to elaborate on that? I completely agree with you. There is a such thing as sin. We need to call sin, sin. And there is a such thing as right and wrong. Do you think you could stop right here on this point and circle back to maybe like the Ten Commandments or some of the clearer passages of the law that tell us what we should do and condemn us because we haven't done it or the things that we shouldn't do and condemns us for because we have done them? You think you could spend just a little bit of time here explaining what sin is so that we can call it that? No, we don't gloss over sin. You know, that's not being judgmental to point out sin, not at all. But Jesus is saying the problem is you see people with some sawdust in their eye and it's irritating. You ever got sawdust in your eye? Have you ever had something in your eye like a piece of sand or sawdust that irritates your eye? It's painful. It's very painful. And we as believers are to look at the sawdust in people's eyes and help heal them with Christ's power. To help point it out to be a healing agent, not to be judgmental but to be a healing agent. The problem is many times we come up to them and say, hey, buddy, you know, you got some sawdust in your eye. Let me help you with that. And we hit them over the head with a two by four. And they're going, I don't need your help. I think I'll be okay. I'd rather have the sawdust in my eye than get hit upside the head with a two by four. And many times in our families, we're so quick to point out the little sawdust and everybody else in our family. 
but we hit them over the head with a two-by-four all the time. What I've discovered is if I'll concentrate on the two-by-four in my life, and if I'll let God give me the guts and the courage to face my own faults and character flaws and sins, and I work on those, and I forget about trying to change everybody else around me, and I work on letting God change me, then the people in my life are so much more open to me being a healing agent in their life. So you're the healing agent, not the cross, not the shed blood of Christ, not the forgiveness of sins, but yeah, okay. I don't come across judgmental. But when I'm not willing to work on the two-by-four in my eye, I'm just a judgmental Christian. I have noticed in the people that God has given me to manage and to lead that when they see me working on my character faults and flaws, then they're so much more open to me helping them and leading them overcome theirs. So important to understand that we have two-by-fours and we're all in the same tool shed and we got to get those out of our eyes so we can see clearly to help be healing agents to the people around us. Nobody wants to have sawdust in their eye. And we need to be healing agents, but we can't do that with a two-by-four in our eye. Well, I want you to look at Romans 5, 3, and 4, because Paul talks about another reason why we need to get a whole new perspective on the sandpaper people in our lives. He says, we can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they're good for us. They help us learn to be patient. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. Underline the word strong and steady. Notice he quoted Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. If you go to that chapter, let's take a look at what's missing. (laughs) I mean, seriously, it's it's as if he's purposely trying to, to make sure that he doesn't accidentally steer into the gospel, you know, actually proclaims true repentance and the forgiveness of sins, you know, justification and salvation by Christ and him alone. Good night. (sighs) Context, context, context. And you know what I'm going to do just to add a smidge of uh, more context? Let's back up into Romans chapter 4. I mean, there's some good stuff here. Um, let's see here. So I'm going to start, let's see, um, here we go. Um, okay. Romans chapter four, verse 16. Now keep in mind the, um, chapter numbers and the verses are not part of the original inspired text. So we're picking up in the middle of a letter that Paul wrote. Okay. So if you want to get the gist of the point of chapter five, verses three and four, you have to take a look at what the natural flow of what Paul was writing in that section of the letter says. So backing up into Romans chapter four is actually a pretty smart idea since we're looking at verses three and four and uh, two verses, many times it's difficult to get the immediate context from just two verses. So that being the case, Let's take a look at uh, Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 16, and we'll keep reading as we get into chapter 5. Here we go. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls the things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be." 
Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, but he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at the right time when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Yeah, see, uh, when you're reading Romans chapter 5, the whole perseverance and character and all that kind of stuff, that's all in light of the gospel, in light of the good news that we are declared righteous by faith as a result of what Christ has done for us. Uh, But uh, somehow Carrie Shook just steered past those passages that talk about the gospel and what Christ has done for us and all that salvation by grace through faith stuff. I mean, he avoided those like he was shooting the rapids, and those were the rocks to be avoided in the passage. Oh, and what a skillful job he's done at avoiding those good gospel texts. Yeah, Carrie Shook is a skilled gospel text avoider because that's he's done it now in Ephesians, and he's now done it in Romans. But, boy, he sure is skilled at avoiding those gospel rocks because those gospel rocks would tear to pieces his his theology because his theology is not the biblical one. Let me back it up just a smidge because I just think it's rather interesting that now in both Ephesians and in Romans, we've just completely avoided all of the gospel stuff. He says, we can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they're good for us. They help us learn to be patient. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. Underline the word strong and steady. I get a whole new perspective on the people in my life when I realize we're all in the same tool shed. And I stop judging. Yeah, by the way, Romans 5, does it have anything to do with dealing with irritating people? (laughs) No. Judging them. But I get a whole new perspective on the sandpaper people in my life when I realize that God has placed some people in my life to irritate me. It's as simple as that. And when you realize that God has placed some people in your life to irritate you, life goes a whole lot better. 
And where in the Bible, the passages that we read today, does it say that God puts people in our life in order to irritate us? Yeah, that's not in any of those passages that we've read, and I don't recall any offhand. Did you know God has intentionally placed some people in your life to be sandpaper, to rub off the rough edges of your character to make you more like Christ? God has intentionally placed some people in my life to be sandpaper, to rub off... Oh, so that's what you're reading into the, uh, you know, that suffering produces character and character produces hope. So what he's done is he's taken uh, Romans 5, 3, you know, talking about suffering produces character, and apparently the suffering that, that Carrie Shook sees in Romans chapter 5, verse 3... That's the suffering that we all go through as a result of being irritated by sandpaper people. Yeah, I'm sure that's what Paul had in mind, because the guy who had been beaten and flogged and stoned for his proclamation of Christ and him crucified for our sins, that the big suffering that he experienced was all the irritating little people in his lives. You know, when he was doing his tent making out there in Ephesus, you know, trying to make a living while he's preaching the gospel. Oh, yeah, those irritating little children who'd say, hey, you, you, you stink. You, you're not a good tent maker. You, you're, and they were the irritating ones in his, see, that's what he means by suffering. Right. The rough edges of my character that don't look like Jesus Christ. It's part of his plan to make my character strong and steady. God allows people in pressure to build my character. Now, this sawdust up here is not very strong, not a whole lot to it, but if you take the same sawdust and you put it under pressure, intense pressure and intense heat, it turns into this, particle board. This is sawdust that's been placed under intense pressure and intense heat, and it is strong. Come up here and I'll hit you on the head and prove it. I mean, this is heavy stuff. This is sawdust. Sawdust compressed, put under pressure, put in extreme heat, and this is exactly what happens. It gets strong. And that's what God wants to do in your life and mine. He allows some sandpaper people and some sandpaper stuff into my life for one reason, to bring about pressure and heat. And when the heat is on, my character gets built. I become strong and steady in my character. Did you know you can even learn from your greatest critics? It's true. If you use the chewing gum principle, Chewing gum, you know, you chew it and you spit it out, you don't swallow it. It's the same with criticism. You can take advantage of criticism if you'll chew on the criticism and take the 10 to 15% that's valid, learn from it, grow from it, and then spit out the other 90%. I'm so glad that you think that you can learn from your critics. Uh, Carrie, let me give you a suggestion. Will you actually just preach what the Bible says? Quit this verse hopping around that you're doing and actually preach the text and actually preach the gospel in the sections of Scripture that you're, you're reading from because you, you sure seem really good at avoiding those. All the negativity, don't swallow it, but learn from your critics. God wants you to learn from the sandpaper people in your life. He has placed them in your life for a reason. Some of you have a hammer in your life. Did you ever stop to think that maybe the reason God has allowed that hammer in your life is so that you will learn to be strong and stand up to them instead of being weak and being walked over like a doormat. Maybe God's trying to build you into a stronger leader so that you have... Moralistic therapeutic deism. Are you be, as a result of this sermon, are you going to be more obedient to Jesus? have to stand up to that hammer even though it's uncomfortable. Some of you have a measuring tape in your life. Did you ever stop to think that God has allowed that measuring tape in your life so that you will learn to look to Christ for total acceptance rather than to look to a person acceptance because you'll never find that acceptance from that measuring tape 
We all need to look to Christ anyway for our total acceptance. See, I believe with all my heart that God has allowed every sandpaper person in your life for a reason. It's something about my character and your character that he wants to change, that he wants to build us to make us strong in Christ. So don't look at that sandpaper person as a detriment. Look at them as a positive benefit that God has placed in your life and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to build in my character? What are you trying to teach me about relationships? What are you trying to teach me about leadership? What are you trying to teach me about life? I want to learn it. And then thirdly, I get a whole new perspective on the people in my life when I realize that not only has God placed them into my life for a reason, but God has placed me into their life for a reason. God has placed you into their life for a reason. God wants you to be a witness to them if they don't, if they don't know Christ. You may be the only Jesus that they'll ever see. God wants you to be a minister to them of Christ's love. That's so important. If you're not going to be a minister, you're... Uh, God wants you to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. We're ministers of the reconciliation that God has won through Christ. We're to go and proclaim the reconciliation that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Notice that apparently the love of Christ is just you being a loving example, but nothing about confronting them with their sin and proclaiming Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins won by him on the cross. Unbelievable. Your workplace, then who is? God has placed you there for a reason. Our pastors can't get everywhere all the time, but our church is all over the place because our church is you being a minister in your neighborhood, in your workplace, to your family, and that's the way God planned it. So I need to get a whole new perspective, the carpenter's perspective, on my problems and pressure. And then secondly, if I'm gonna get along with the sandpaper people in my life and build a lasting legacy, I've gotta drill down to the root cause of the conflict. I say this because anger and conflict... Uh, Would the root cause of the conflict be our sinful nature? Just taking a stab here in the dark, you know. Go back to the lecture I played earlier on the bondage of the will. Yeah, it, could it have anything to do with our sinful nature, that being the root cause? I wonder. They're just surface-level issues. Whenever I'm angry and upset, that's just the surface level. There's something going on much deeper. And so I've got to drill down. I've got to drill down to the deeper issue and try to understand what's really going on inside of me. Whenever I get upset and angry, that's just a surface issue. That's what the Bible says in Matthew 12, 34. It says, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's saying that anything that comes from our mouths comes from the inside. So when I'm upset and angry, there's something going on inside of me, and I need to find out what it is. Notice, okay, there's something going on inside of me, as if it's some kind of a temporary passing thing, you know. Yeah, it may be that, maybe you are just suffering from a, a, a mild case of the sin virus, you know. And, and so that's the thing that's going on inside of your heart. And, and if you just take some Pepsid or something, it'll go away, you know. When we get hurt, we get angry. If I'm hammering a nail, and I miss that nail, and I hit my thumb... Then I yell out, God bless you and praise the Lord. Because <laughs> I'm a pastor, that's what I yell out. I don't know about you. Maybe you yell something different, I don't know. No, if I hit my thumb, I'm hurt and I'm angry. And so are you. When we get hurt emotionally, we get angry. And that's why it's so important to learn how to get to the root issue and express the hurt rather than to express the anger. Because so many times in conflict, 
People say things like, you make me so mad, and they start criticizing each other, and they're lobbing these missiles back and forth, and what happens is the walls go up, and when the walls go up, you can't get anywhere. The only way you can really achieve intimacy in any relationship is through conflict, and if you care about any relationship, if the relationship is important at all, you will have some conflict. But if you learn to work through the root issues, get right down to the root issue, and have conflict on the root issue, you can move to intimacy. But too many times, I see it's just conflict for conflict. What if you could, what, you can get to intimacy by moving through the, con- what verse says that? sake, Because they never get down to the root issue. They say things like, you make me so mad. They start criticizing each other. They're just lobbing missiles and the walls go up. It's so much more helpful if I can say, I feel hurt when you did that. <laughs> I'm feeling the testosterone draining from my body. Ah! Then the defenses go down. Now you still work through conflict. That doesn't solve the conflict. You'll still have conflict, but you have a chance to move to intimacy because you're dealing with the root issue. Too many times we just deal with the conflict and the anger, and it's just surface issues. We never drill down to get to the root cause of it. And if you can get to the root cause right away, my wife and I in our marriage, we've learned to get right down to the root cause and say things like, I really... Oh, you're so holy. Wow. They feel hurt when you do that. And you get down to the root cause of it, and you can really deal with it. And you can move through conflict to a level of intimacy in a marriage relationship you never dreamed possible. If I'm going to get along with the sandpaper people in my life, I have to level with others in love. Now, I have up here a level. You know what that is. It's where you see the little bubble in the middle and you make sure things are level. We have to level with others in love. You have to have the courage to confront, to level with people. Yeah, this sounds like he's got these little pithy sayings from some kind of a self-help book, you know, like Stuart Smalley's uh, ways of dealing with uh, relational conflict or something. Managers, if you're going to build a great team, you build a great team with trust. You build it on trust, and you build trust by sharing the truth in a gut-level way, having the courage to confront. If the organization's going the wrong direction, then you have to have the courage to talk about it and deal with it and gut-level with people. The Bible says that we're to tell the truth. But it's interesting because it says we're to tell the truth wrapped in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, instead, speaking the truth in love. We're to balance the truth with love. Notice, always the verses out of context, fortune cookie, self-help style. I mean, it's it's like, it's, I just wonder, I mean, when somebody attends a church like this and they actually open up the Bible for the first time, if they're not, just not shocked, so they're going, uh, this doesn't sound anything like what my pastor makes the Bible sound like. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. I mean... I mean, I just thought, you know, if I opened up the Bible, there'd be like an index, you know, and that, you know, it would, it, and there would be the names of different problems. You got the relationship section, you got the finance section, you got the time management section, you've got the dealing with sandpaper people section. And, you know, and, and you got, you know, and as you're reading the Bible, there's just these little pithy sayings. And by the way, isn't that interesting? When you have you ever read the gospel, uh, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas? Um, all of the details of Jesus' life regarding what he did on earth, you know, where he traveled to, that he was hungry, all, all of that uh, narrative of the story of his life is completely gone. Gone. Uh, the only thing that matters are the pithy statements that Jesus made. And, uh, 
you know, it just makes you wonder. I mean, if that's what's not going on here, some kind of a form of Gnosticism where we're just looking for the pithy statements, the little, the teaching completely devoid from, you know, separated from the story. We don't need the story's details. No, we don't need that. No, 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 no. Just give me the pithy statement, the, the secret knowledge that I can apply to my life to make myself happier. So that, you know, because I, I would be really happy. A lot more happy than I am now if I had the secrets to dealing with sandpaper people. Hmm. Yeah, this, in some ways, this feels like Gnosticism to me. Hmm. I like to think about it this way. Let's say on this side of the level is the truth side. On this side of the level is the love side. Now, some people are really good at telling the truth. They're weighted to this side. They tell the truth all the time but they don't tell it in love. They tell it just to get something off their chest or to hurt somebody else. Or maybe they gossip about someone else and when confronted on it, they say, well, it's gossip, but it's the truth. Or maybe they say, well, I just tell the truth. I let the chips fall where they may. What they're saying is I'm pretty socially inept and stupid and don't know how to get along with other people. Yeah, but it's the other person, not me. No way. That's what they're saying. But they tell the truth. But then you have other people that are caring and loving and sweet, but they never have the courage to confront, and they're balanced too much on the love side, and the Bible says that's not real love. If you're always sweet and encouraging, but you never have the courage to tell the truth, then you're imbalanced, and that's not love. The Bible says you must balance the truth with love. And so what I want to do is share the truth, but wrap it. Uh, you know, again, uh, somehow creating this, uh, this illusion that the Bible just has all this little life advice, you know, you, as you open it up, the, the, there's no story, there's no history, there's nothing, no story to tell about Jesus and what God has done in history. No, 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 no. We just need the pithy little statements, the secret knowledge that we didn't know was there to apply it to our lives so that we can, you know, be happier. But in love, I want to share the truth in order to build someone up, not to tear them down. I want to share the truth, not to get something off my chest because I'm angry, but I want to share the truth to try to help someone because I care about the relationship. So I want to balance it. I want that bubble to be right in the middle. I want to balance the truth with love. And then you move to the fourth step, and that is I plug into the power source. I'll plug into the power source. So Jesus is a wall socket. Got it. Okay. All these power tools up here are useless unless you plug them in to the power source, unless you have a battery or some electricity that runs to them. And it's the same in our relationships. There's no way that I can love the people in my life without God's power. I have to plug into the power source. Some of you feel like giving up today. You're in a good place because God is saying, finally, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for you to give up so I can get involved in my power. God wants you to give up trying to do it in your own strength and plug into his power so that he can do it through you. So where's the big plug into the power source passages in the Bible? I'm Nothing's coming to my mind, but then again, I'm just a, you know, a lowly radio guy. There is no way you can follow this message without God's power. There's no way that I can love the people in my life the way they need to be loved. And there's definitely no way I can love the sandpaper people in my life without God's power. So no forgiveness, no repentance, no forgiveness of sins. You just need the power to deal with the sandpaper people in your life. And now for the obligatory, uh, you need to make a decision for Jesus section of the uh, sermon, modeled after what Joel Osteen does. See if uh, you know if this actually makes anybody a Christian. Listen in. If you're not sure that you've ever come into a relationship with a God who created you, 
through the Son, Jesus Christ, then just pray this prayer right now. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and make me new on the inside. As best as I know how, I give my life to you. If you prayed that prayer, Christ came into your life. Really? He'll never leave you. Really? really? Where, serious? That, wow, that's kind of quite a powerful prayer. Which, uh, which section of the Bible teaches that? He'll always be with you, and it's the most important thing you could ever do. Call us right now and let us know that you did that, that you prayed that prayer. Uh, what a train wreck. So what's, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he shot those rapids, though. I mean, seriously, I mean, he was canoeing down the seeker-driven, uh, purpose-driven preaching you know, river, and and there were these gospel rocks in the passages that he wanted to preach from, and he saw them from afar, and and he steered his canoe or his kayak. He he shot to the left and avoided that gospel there, and he shot to the right and avoided the guy. Oh, that was the most skillful gospel ob, uh, avoidance I've ever seen in my life. Sad, isn't it? All of those passages that he quoted from point us to Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins and salvation by grace. And he found a way to avoid saying a word of it in order to give us this fine message on how to, you know, how to deal with those sandpaper people, those wascally irritating people in your life, rather than confronting people with their sin and their need for a savior and preaching the, the 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 meat of those passages salvation by grace through faith on a, as a result of Christ shed blood on the cross for us that we now have peace with God and we've been declared righteous because of what he's done he skillfully avoided all of that but don't worry at the very 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 end there he was able to throw in something about uh you know, you need to make a decision to make the Jesus the Lord of your life, kind of, and boom, people, I mean, that just saved him right there, don't you think? Yeah, I don't think so at all. That's not biblical preaching. That's, well, and not only that, the question I ask is, will people be more obedient after having heard that sermon? Because that is, the Carrie Shook is one of the premier purpose-driven preachers out there. No, not at all. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that wasn't a sermon about faith in Christ. That was a sermon about applying little techniques so that people don't irritate you. That's not the gospel. That's not Christian sanctification. It's none of the above. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so. My e, uh, Well, you know, the way you do it, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. You know the drill. Pick one of them. Uh, the uh, Joining our crew is $6.95 a month, and that really, truly helps us out. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the donate button or make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. And then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.